And I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I can work with this. Okay, so you have PTSD. It shows up as anxiety and depression. I understand. Like, we have a therapist now. Things are under control. So you'll get through this whole, like, mess. You'll write a book. Put my face on a two while you're at it. Write me a nice dedication. I'll go on a book tour. You know, like, I can figure this out. I can rock depression. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to the second episode of season two of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is dedicated to the complete recovery of Shalom Dover Ben Sara, Shalomis Basquita Razel, and all who are in need of healing. May the learning done through today's episode give them strength. Human and Holy is a community-run podcast, and that means that each episode is made possible by generous people that believe in the mission of the podcast and want to make Torah and Hasidus accessible in this format. If this is you, please consider partnering with us in making a future episode happen. Email humanandholy at gmail.com for sponsorship and dedication opportunities in the upcoming podcast season. In today's episode, I interview Hannah Margulies about how God has called her to shift away from the life she thought she was supposed to have, to the life that is actually hers. We discuss this idea in chapter 27 of Tanya, that every moment of engagement with holiness is a victory in God's eyes. We are each given circumstances that we will never be able to shelf as a past experience. We each have struggles that God does not ask us to overcome, but simply to show up to and do the best that we can in that moment. Hana, hi. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to hear your story, learn from you, etc. Can you begin just by introducing yourself? Thank you so much for having me. Hi, my name is Hana Margulies. Thank God I'm blessed to live in the holy mystical city of Tzvat. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, and I'm here to share about my healing journey today. Okay, awesome. I'm so excited. So we were discussing a little bit, and we sort of touched on this idea in Tanya from chapter 27, where the altar speaks about the moment-to-moment struggle being the purpose and the journey of life. And I feel like that really sort of encapsulates your whole journey of shifting away from that perfect vision of a Jewish life to that moment-to-moment holy interaction with God. So I'd love if you could just share a little bit about your journey and how you learned this idea through that. So my greatest teacher in learning that exact concept that you're sharing from Tanya has been my husband. I'm extraordinarily blessed to be married to my husband, Ariel. He suffers and thank God is doing great, but has suffered throughout our marriage from both PTSD, anxiety, and depression. And his journey has led me on my own inner healing journey. His inner work has brought me my own inner work to live in a life that is much more real and raw and beautiful. And just honestly living with God than the perfect 
bubble life I had planned for us when we had gotten married. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of this idea of Rachel and Leah, that Yaakov, he thought he was marrying Rachel. He woke up in the morning and there was Leah. And we kind of think had this image of the person we're marrying, but mm. then make sure that we marry the exact person that I need to marry, that I had this image for us. And shortly after being married, my husband started showing these incredible signs of depression and intense panic attacks. And he didn't know what was happening. And I didn't know what was happening. And just to go into the details a little bit, if that's okay, just to give a bigger picture of it. When someone feels safe, trauma rises because trauma cannot be processed while the person is still in an unsafe place. So marriage was this incredibly emotional, safe space for both of us. The nail certain memories that he didn't even have access to were now arising and causing these different panic attacks and depression. At first I was like, hello, I did not sign up for this. Like this is not the poster life that I was so excited to play rabbi in Revitzen. You know, we'll sit at the Shabbos meal, we'll lead birthright groups, and we'll just be, you know, rocking Chabad people. Like that's what I was excited for. And I'd married my Leia, the person I actually needed to be married to, my husband Arl, to really get me out of this image of the life that I wanted to live to be holy and actually living a holy life. Because it's so funny how and he'd be like, but I want to live this certain exact perfect life for God. It's like, okay, so is that for God or is that for my mm-hmm. ego? And so at first, my marriage was a lot about pretending because you know, I work at a seminary and I have a certain image of myself. And so people would say, how are you? How's married life? You look so good in your shaitel. And I'd play along. Meanwhile, my husband has been depressed for days and I don't know what's happening. And you know, we'd go to Shabbos meals and he'd pick himself up and play this image of the person I wanted him to be. And it was, it was a lot of, a lot of pretending. And slowly, thank God Hashem helped me realize that what I was watching was actually something extraordinarily beautiful. That I had this image of what it looked like to serve God. Meaning I would go work with these birthright groups and I'd have 50 participants and I'd be fun and exciting. And they all loved me. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing God's work. And then I'd come home and find my husband in the midst of intense anxiety. So here I am, perfect, right? Serving God. And what is he doing, right? And like, what is that over there? What is this anxious person or this oppressed person? Wow. And then I just feeling like, okay, so I'm perfect. And here's this person that I need to pretend about. And thank God that God woke me up out of that that nightmare into my beautiful life, which is realizing, wow, <laughs> life is not about a show. It's not just holy. If I can show it to the whole world, it's how the intimacy that my husband has with God in those moments of anxiety and getting past all the shame and all those negative thoughts and getting to his essence, to a place of, let's say he's dealing with a thought like, I'm not good enough, you know, I pounded in trauma there. I'm not good enough. And having to work through that, that's between him and God. And you can't show that to a birthright group and it's not loud and exciting. And that we like Giloyim. Giloyim means like revelations, right? We want like a revelation of God, but God isn't in the revelation. He's not in the sparks. He's in the essence. He's in the dark, quiet, still moments. He's with my husband in the midst of that anxiety that he's working through and being able to see in those days before we even knew that he needed to go to EMDR and start a healing journey, before we knew anything, the way he was struggling to put tefillin on, he'd wrestle with himself the whole day. He wanted to put on tefillin, but his body's shaking. And to be able to wrap his tefillin on moments before sunset and me realizing, wow, that is so holy. Like I've never wrestled with myself like that. 
the inner work that he is doing, it humbled me that this is a whole other form of holy that I never would have gone to experience if I wasn't married to this person. And no, I can't go talk about it right now. It's not the time. And I didn't think it would ever be the time. But this is a type of holy that's panini. That's just between me and God. And I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I can work with this. Okay, so you have PTSD. It shows up as anxiety and depression. I understand. We have a therapist now. Things are under control. So you'll get through this whole mess. You'll write a book. Mm. Put my face on it too while you're at it. Write me a nice dedication. I'll go on a book tour. I can figure this out. I can rock depression. And Uh. No, that's not what this is about. That you know what? Yeah, maybe Ariel will get to the place. He does in some ways share his story more like one-on-one with people who need to hear it. But that's not the point. The point is that I am being blessed to get to see that inner struggle that he goes through and get to be the someone who gets to witness that because it is such raw essence. And it's not about getting to that place of, okay, I'm perfectly healed. You know, I'm a robot here. Okay, perfect emotion, no stability at all times. That's not what it's about. It's about being able to bring God into those really dark moments. And as I saw him do that, I was able to do that also. And I saw him praying to Hashem to help him out of this confusion. It was like, wait, wait, you mean God can be in depression? What? I can ask Hashem to help us out of this. Like I remember we went to visit the altar of his caver in the height of all of this. Somehow that's what we you know, decided to do. You guys are in Ukraine. Okay. <laughs> Ukraine in the midst of some intense things he was going through. We just started trauma therapy. We didn't know that it gets messier before it gets better. We're like, let's go on a trip. Wow. Really intense stuff. I remember just being by the altar of him. I saw how my husband was praying, help me through this to God. I'm like, altar of help me. You have all these skills in Tanya. You knew I felt like the altar had us in mind when he wrote the Tanya. You gave us these tools. Don't let me be blind to them let me access this. And as much as it really is like the battle is the victory, like the fact that I can respect my husband when he's having anxiety, like anxiety, when you have it, you can't even breathe sometimes. And he's choosing to like go and do one of the techniques that he's learned from trauma therapy to get himself out of anxiety. For me, I respect that beyond because it's like, wow, you're engaged in the battle. So it's okay if it takes three hours. It doesn't need to be perfect. I just want to point out that I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that when you discovered this about your husband, your first instinct was, okay, so we're going to kill you. <laughs> we will yeah. move past this. It will be a dark stage in our lives. And then we'll pack it in and we'll return back to our perfect life. And I think that a lot of us have that instinct as support people for anyone going through really difficult times, or even for ourselves. When we look at certain things within us, we'd like to believe that depression, anxiety, or even just negative traits that we have are not chronic. They're just a phase we have to get through. But generally speaking, we are born with certain things, positive and negative, that are chronic. I feel like that's Satania's message in this chapter where the altar of speaks about this. The message is, there's nothing to be ashamed of if depression is chronic. There's nothing to be ashamed of if every single morning you have the same struggle. You might get more tools you might be able to manage it better, but you're not failing if you never eradicate depression from your life. And that's such a powerful shift to have. Really powerful. I love how you just said that. Thank you. Yes. Because it can be so shameful. It's like, wait a second. I just did six weeks of EMDR, intense trauma therapy. I watched my husband go through it. He's like, I'm doing so good. And then bam, here comes a trigger that's literally God. It can be nothing else. Like, that was the perfect trigger to trigger all his PTSD. Like there it is in our faces. And he's like, oh, and it could be such fear for both of us. It's like, Hey, so are we just right. back where we started? And it's like, 
No, the battle is the victory. This is from Hashem and we're just going to a whole other experience of essence. It's not even levels. It's like, okay, we're getting closer to the essence. There's still some negative beliefs here about ourselves. There's still some toxicity of gullus <laughs> that we're going to clean up for the world. And like you're saying, not being afraid of that, not being afraid of like, here it is again. It's like, no, no, this is our vote of Hashem. Every day we dive in. Some people every day, they battle through very intense beliefs to be able to just go into the world and shine. Someone else would just wake up and do it. But when they shine, <laughs> when I watch my husband shine, it's from his essence. And in my personal experience of getting to learn and having my husband as my greatest teacher about getting to one's essence, I see his depression as like an authenticity barometer. It's like, okay, it's so easy that I could have a belief like I'm not good enough. And I'll go build a whole thing out of it. I'll build a whole self-help program. I'll build a successful business. I'll do this, all that. So many people, like me, we could just live with these beliefs and I'll just live from that place. You know, people build families and careers and businesses and they look really successful. But underneath the foundation is I'm not good enough. So I'm going to do something so I can feel worthy. But of mm. course, that worthiness, it only comes from inside and nothing external can ever actually heal that feeling unless I'm willing to do the work of on I'm not good enough. And mm. for my husband, if he's in the middle of a project, he likes to help with his yeshiva. That's like one of his favorite things to do. And if he's in the middle of a project and he gets hit by this wave of I'm not good enough, he does not function. It's like, no, his body's like, sorry, you are not going to live out of this lie, out of this belief. You are going to wrestle with it. You're going to lie in bed. You're going to go to therapy. You're going to write. You're going to read. You're going to learn a mimer. You are going to wrestle with this darkness until you come out through light. And until he's back to a place of wholeness of, no, I am good enough. And not just here, but like his body is so sensitive to spirituality. His body will just say, no, I'm sorry. I'm not playing along with this lie. And then once he's back to a place of wholesomeness, he'll go and he'll go back to the world of doing but whatever he's doing is from this place of wholesomeness, whether it's like, hey, now finally, who knows what time it is, I can dub in chakras now. And he's never like, hey, I'll just dub in mincha. It's like, no, I battle through to be able to pray. I'm going to go oh. pray chakras now. And for me, as someone who like, it's so easy for me to just do, 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 do. I'm like, oh, I want to be successful. And I want to create a certain image. I'm not judging myself. It's just so normal to see someone who, who only functions out of authenticity it's blowing my mind. It's like, I just, he was working on this whole project of this book. And so many times I was caught up in so many clipot of why I wanted this book to be published and what it meant about my self-worth. Like, okay, I have something to show for myself. And I just look at my husband and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pause. I'm closing my laptop. I'm not writing right now. I'm coming back to wholeness. And then I'll continue. Mm. Like operating from a place of inwardness as opposed to outwardness. There's something beautiful about sharing that inward journey with the world, but making sure that it's centered inward first as opposed to outward first. Yeah, that's really coming from wholeness. Otherwise, who's it for? If it's really for Hashem, tshuva means being my most authentic self. So I could write a whole book about how the whole world to do tshuva, but I'm not living for my authentic self. Hashem has just brought me such good inner work of working through things that just aren't my authentic self. And because my husband, he doesn't function unless he's living like his authentic self. It's inspiring to me. It's like, okay, I want to I wanna live for my essence too. And there's this Torah that when I learned it, I was, okay, Hashem, my husband's depression, like it's, it's in your Torah also. This is also in this. It's this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he broke the first tablets, so he went up to Harsinai and he begged for forgiveness for the Jewish people. 
But now that we were forgiven, we needed a new set of tablets. And so God said, this time you make them. And when Moshe Rabin was chiseling them out. He, they're made of sapphire, right? This beautiful glowing blue sapphire stone. And when he was chiseling out, there was little bits of sapphire shards. And Hashem said to Moshe, you can keep the extra shards. And he actually became rich from the shards of sapphire. And the first tablets, they represent the idea of exotic, meaning in terms of life, I'm just stable. I'm okay. I'm good. Like I'm just going higher to higher versus the second tablets are like, no, I failed. I messed up royally. I fell on my face. I'm in darkness. I'm in confusion. And I'm going to chisel my way towards God. That's the second tablet. It's chiseling out Mm. our essence, our soul. It's like really someone's mental health journey. And that Moshe Rabinu got to keep those shards. And that's what made him rich. The first journey, the first tablets, they didn't make him rich. They weren't worked for in the same way. The second tablet, that's what he got to keep. And when I read that, it was like, okay, this is making us rich. You know, like this looks like it's ruining my life. It's ruining our lives. That's a belief that I probably lived with for over a year. More. I'm embarrassed to say like, this is ruining our lives. And seeing that is like, no, this isn't ruining our lives. This is making our lives rich. Sometimes when my husband battles depression, there's times where, thank God, my husband loves to cook. He loves to help me. Like I'm very blessed. But when he's under this spell, He's not himself. And I was like, hey, where'd my husband go? (laughs) Here's my Ariel. But then he brings me sapphires. It's like, okay, and here's a shred of wisdom. And here's another spark of wisdom. He's bringing me all these sapphires. And so it's a compromise. Like, I just want my fun-loving Ariel. Where is God taking him in this depression? Why does he have to be there? And at the same time realizing, no, this is making us so rich. On the one hand, every time he emerges, right, from that sapphire well, like digging out his soul, he gives me these gems of wisdom. And at the same time, just knowing that when he's in that, I don't know his soul's journey. I don't. And this was a huge clip for me to break of like ego death of like, hello, you're married to me. So you reflect me. And we're going to look a certain way and realizing, no, there's my life and there's your life. And like, we're building a life together, but there's also your own business and my business. And that just like, I don't know what my soul came down here to do. And I don't need to know. I just need to flow with what Hashem wants for me right now. Trusting that my husband also has this soul journey. And that to me, depression and anxiety sometimes looks like a waste. Like Hashem, like, why are you taking this beautiful human being and putting him under for days? Like, what is this? And just trusting that I don't need to know. That's between him and God. And that this is part of his soul's journey. Like for so long, I felt like this is a mistake. Like, God, you made a mistake. This is just a huge mistake. And then stopping to make our lives wrong. This isn't wrong. If he is suffering and struggling through these things, it's because this is part of his holy work. This is part of why his soul is in this world. And not shaming that. What comes to mind is what you mentioned at the beginning, that you wanted your life to look a certain way, supposedly for God. You wanted (laughs) this God-filled, but truly, I do think that you were completely sincere in wanting this joyful, God-driven life that looked a certain way. And then when there was that ego death, when your life was going to look completely different, and then recalibrating yourself to recognize that this part of your life, this very inward part of your life is, if anything, more God-focused than the outer part of your life, because this is what God gave you and nobody sees it and it's your private battle that you face. It's amazing to think about how triggered I used to get. Like even that one thought, he's ruining our lives. I would live in that and it would torture me. And a huge skill for me has been the work of Byron Katie. Thank God I have an aunt 
who I called in the middle of the night one night, like 2 a.m. my time and said, okay, I don't know how you help people, but I know you help me. Help me right now. I'm in so much pain. I can't anymore. She helped me through. And like, even that one thought, he's ruining my life. So at the end of an hour of inner work, it's he's ruining our lives, the life that we're not supposed to have. Mm-hmm. And that sort of reframing was huge for me. Right. If we're supposed to have that life. Like you're saying, like this holy, joyful, Hasidic life. It's like, if we're supposed to have that, then God would give that to us. And that's not our reality. So he's ruining the lives that we weren't supposed to have. So that just really, like as an example, that really opens me up to be like, so what is a life that we're supposed to have? Could this really be that this was part of God's plan? That I have to be in this place of like unconditional love and support. And it's so funny because I thought Hashem was destroying the marriage that I wanted to have. He was giving me exactly what he knew my soul wanted, which was to have to get to be this person, to be there for another person. Like something my coach Vivian says, can I love you at your worst? Right. Okay. So it's nice that I can love my husband when he's at the shop's table, you know, making a nice Tavara Torah. Oh, look, my so smart. It's like, that's nice. But can I love you at your worst? And that just means such a, like, a powerful tool for me. It's just asking myself that. And then instead of making it about him, it's about me. So this is my challenge right here. And like, really just this belief that this is for me. No accidents. This is God. This is for me. And also taking responsibility for my part of this. The times that this has been excruciatingly painful for me is not because of what I was witnessing and what we were going through, because what of what my husband was going through. Ultimately, I have to take responsibility for that. It was because of my own suffering inside, because of my beliefs about how the world should look and the beliefs about how this will affect our future and the mind trip that I allowed my mind to go on and the suffering that I already had, like more than this journey has made me suffer, it made me realize how much I was already suffering. Living from this mindset of like, I care what other people think, meaning I could have lived with that for the rest of my life. I already had that inside of me. So now that I had to pretend all the time, it brought out that suffering more intensely. But realizing, no, this wasn't brought here to make me suffer. This was here because I am suffering. I'm living with all these very painful beliefs about I have to prove myself. I have to look a certain way. And my life has to be perfect. And then everything hurts because that never works out. And even if I do it perfectly, I'm still, okay, but am I, am I really okay? And having to suffer like this has been the biggest blessing of waking me up to this mind. And like, one thing I've learned is that how do I know that a thought that I'm believing isn't true? If I'm suffering, it's that simple. And it doesn't mean it wakes me up right away, but it gives me some consciousness. I'll be looking at my husband and be like, he shouldn't be depressed. How do I know that thought isn't true? Because it causes me suffering, right? He should be depressed because he is, because that's called God. God equals reality. That's what's in front of me. So mm-hmm. that's what should be happening. He is good over there serving God through a way that he is brave enough. That those souls aren't brave enough to go to those places of darkness and bring light. He's over there doing his business. He's a rock star over there. I had to come back to my business, meaning it's a lot easier for me to say, cancel all my friends with my plans, Ugh. cancel my plans with my friends and cancel the class I was supposed to teach and just live under the rug because my husband's depressed. For me, that's very natural. And be like, no, that's his business what he's going through. That's his serving God. I have to stay on my paper over here. So what's going to make me happy? What does Hashem actually want from me today? And for me, that has been hugely painful to have to like take that uh, responsibility back. That and it's so interesting. I say to my husband, like, stop being anxious. Think positive thoughts. 
And after a while of like having this really great coach of the work in my life, I'm like, well, if I think that's so easy, if I'm such an expert, well, let me do that. Stop having <laughs> about Ariel's anxiety. Oh, shoot, that's not so easy. Start thinking positive thoughts. Oh, I haven't done that in a while. Or <laughs> you're like, wow. I'm realizing, wait a second, everything that I think he should be doing, that's him being my greatest teacher because that's my advice to myself. It's like, oh, I also think more positively. I should think more positively. Just constantly living that awareness of however I think I need to fix him. That's the Valshento's idea of like the world's our mirror. So here's my perfect mirror. And that's my advice to myself. Okay, I need to go put myself in a positive space. And I mean, I'm really see how Hashem's energy works like that. Like it's a tool for myself and it's a tool for our marriage. Because if I'm being anxious about RL's anxiety, that's going to skyrocket anxiety versus if I'm just working on my own self, that kind of just gives him the space just that I'm not interfering. I'm not shaming his anxiety. He can just go to all the tools that he has very naturally. And so it's almost like amazing how much of a mirror that is. When I put myself back in a good space and I can respect him in his journey, then he feels that respect and he can do the inner work that he knows he needs to do. I love that line that you said, he was ruining the life that we weren't supposed to have. I think anyone who's maybe dealing with depression, anxiety, or being a support person to someone dealing with that can relate to someone in your life having a struggle so large that you're forced to recognize that you can't fix them. Mm -hmm. But really, in all ways, no matter what our loved ones are dealing with, we can't fix them and they aren't ruining our lives, but they may be ruining the lives that we're not supposed to have. And I love that openness that you described to shifting away from the way you imagine life should be towards the life that actually is and the work that's actually there in the moment. It might be more difficult and it might be more painful at times, but obviously the most precious to God because he gave it to you to wrestle with. And that this is exactly your package and there's nothing else. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being able to recognize the hidden joy that, that's in that. For me, it's just, it's so perfect because I'm such a public person. Like for me sharing like my deepest, darkest secrets, like it doesn't even feel vulnerable. Like, thank God that's how Shem built me. You know, it's interesting. And this journey has been so secret and so private. And I realized that it's so not about sharing. It's so about just feeling privileged to get to witness this and to get to be a part of something that's so intimate just between a person and God. And just really being able to, to realize that I've been blessed to get to witness someone who really lives from the inside out, really comes back to that wholeness. I had We had an experience once where it really was like the closest I ever felt to God in my life. It wasn't Hasidus in a textbook. It wasn't Hasidus in a class. It was just like, Ain o milvado, just like God is everything and God is everywhere. And we're in God. My husband was having a shame attack. So whoever doesn't know what a shame attack is, it's just like shame takes over your body and we shame shame. Like we do anything not to feel it. We'll like build lives and careers and jobs and marry people and divorce people. We'll do anything not to feel shame because shame gets shamed. So here he was being like authentic enough to feel his shame and he was feeling it. And it was just like really shaking his entire body. It was like, it was really good. It was really like a lot of things that had to come out. And we were sitting in this field of flowers because that's this huge trigger. It was like perfect trigger from God of like stuff was like right there. And I'm like, Hey, let's just go. We went to this field of flowers and I was sitting there and he was shaking. And I saw how like the Queen's Anne's lace was shaking in the wind. 
And okay, that's Hashem, enlivening this queen's hands lace. And here's my husband, or just even man, man lying on ground shaking. And just seeing how he is also just like the queen's hands lace, doing exactly what Hashem needs him to be doing right now. Like just as the flower flows in the wind, Ariel is working through the shame. And it's just so beautiful. It's just so authentic. Just like the flower is being, this is Ariel just being, doing exactly what he needs to be doing right now for God. And I felt so blessed. And like that night, my husband made Kiddush. And I never heard him make Kiddush like that, <laughs> like ever. It was just, it was pure. I closed my eyes and I felt like I was at Har Sinai. It was just pure connection, essence to essence, no mass, no facades, no layers, no even like textual reference to this Kavana Chassidus. It just was. Wow. That's really beautiful. <laughs> really. Hannah, I'm thinking as you're talking, I was introduced to you through your journey with cancer and then consequential infertility, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so interested to hear from you. No, seriously, how your life trajectory has not been easy. And I'm wondering why it took your husband struggling with this to have to confront this idea of my life looking different than I wanted it to. Because from an outside perspective, your life probably looked different than you wanted it to for quite a few years. So I'm interested to know why the sudden shift to having to really accept the life God gave you happened now through this specific journey. Because when we spoke, you said, this is actually what I'm wrestling. This idea is what I'm wrestling with right now or what I've been wrestling with lately. Is this the first time that you're confronting this belief? Yeah, this is not the first time I've had to confront this belief. It's definitely Hashem like working me down to like essence. Because you're right, like when I was sick, one of the hardest things for me was like, this isn't how my life is supposed to look. Like my life is ruined. I was in seminary built this holy life for God and God like burned my base of Migdash. It was like, what happened? Why am I in chemo? Cancer treatment was very psychological for me. Like as much as it was physically exhausting and painful, it was like a real torment of why does my life have to look so different? Like I had worked so hard not to be a Balchuva. I was like, I'm not going to be a Balchuva. Who says a story at the Shabbos meal? Like I just told people like I'm based Yaakov, like don't ask questions. I just wanted to find this normal. Cancer kicked that cleat out of me. It was like, nope. And it was an experience of like having to own that, okay, this is where Hashem wants me to be right now and making cancer my classroom. That was a huge turnaround for me. It was, okay, anything I want to learn in seminary this year, there's no way Hashem isn't going to let me learn that in this cancer center. And that was a huge thing for me. Okay, the nurse is my class on Amuna today. And that doctor canceling is my class on Bitachon. And like, just like really going with the flow. And so that was a huge thing of like letting go of the image of my life and flowing. Thank God that was a huge shift. But then getting married, like I was so back into that old mindset. So back into like, okay, now my life's going to be perfect. Now at least I'll be able to like have my shiny shaitel, just have that normalcy that I wanted. And yeah, you're right. Like, this is not the first time. And I think Hashem is kind. Like, He sends things in layers. And also, like, fertility has been a huge thing of learning to let go. And, like, it's all been one big lesson that Hashem's been teaching me of letting go of an image. And something I love from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, husband, I both love him, that <laughs> he talks about how God doesn't have an image, but we're made, but Salam we're made in the image of God. 
So what does that mean if God does not have an image? Not only does God not have an image, you cannot make an image of God. That's like idolatry. And just like God has no image, your life has no image. Your essence has no image. I do not need to stick to these limitations that I think I have. And getting beyond this image to serve an imageless God. In order to serve this imageless God, I need to get beyond my own image of what my life needs to look like. It was healing from like our fertility losses that really helped me embrace my husband. There was an egg that was going to be my baby. Like I was like obsessed with this egg. It worked so hard to like have this egg retrieval. It wasn't the first time we'd done this. And then we got home from the hospital. I was like, okay, now we'll fertilize and that's it. In a few weeks, we'll do a transfer and I'll be pregnant. Like, right, once again, like that image of what our life should look like will be there. I'll be one of those other million people, their babies on their laps. I could just breathe. And then I realized, wait a second, I have to put more pressure on this egg. I just prayed for it to turn from a follicle to an egg and actually be extracted. Sorry if I'm getting too medical here. For a month, I was just obsessed with it. And now I'm going to like pressure it to become an embryo. Like, what if it doesn't want to be an embryo? Maybe that's not its journey. And I was so funny because like, it's something microscopic, but it taught me how to love unconditionally. I was like, yes, I will pray for this step to fertilize. And at the same time, I don't know, like, when am I going to let go? Okay, so am I going to let go of its journey now when it's microscopic? What if it turns into a baby? And then when am I going to let go of its journey? When it's a teenager? When it marries the person I don't want it to marry? When it names its kid the wrong name? Like, when am I going to release control of this microscopic egg? And it doesn't end. Either I, like, let go now and just choose to do the only thing I can, which is love it. Or I stay attached and control forever. And so it was from that little microscopic thing, like, I'm just going to love you unconditionally. And I didn't even answer my phone calls from the lab to hear if it fertilized or not, because I wasn't doing a transfer right away. Anyways, I was waiting a few months. And so I just loved it unconditionally. And it was, I think, through that experience, and then ultimately them telling me that it hadn't fertilized, that it was now just microscopic dust, I guess. And I'm like, I love you, microscopic dust. Thank you for being in my life and teaching me unconditional love. Like what a perfect daughter you were. You know, I decided it was a girl. Mm. Like what a perfect <laughs> daughter. Like you could have been in my life for like 50 years and taught me unconditional love, but you did it in three weeks. Thank you. It would think it was that letting go of this image. Like I have to be this person with this baby to be okay. That actually really shifted things in my journey with Ariel because it was at the time that I was letting go of wanting to do fertility treatments and stepping into just enjoying my life that he wanted to take some radical shifts in his healing journey of really going all in and healing in a radical way. And I was kind of scared of that. Like things were kind of just don't push it. Like things are okay. Just don't try anything new. Do we have to try the new therapy? Like I'm scared, you know? Yeah. I was saying like, you know what? I'm stepping into the fact that I want to live in Gula. Let me let him live in Gula also. And if things need to get messy, if he needs to go dig up some deep trauma, let him. I get to live the life that I want to live, not the image of the life that I thought I was supposed to live, which for me was having this miracle baby. And like, as I let go of that and just started loving my life, he was like, I want to be in my own gula also. And so for me, that was like, okay, I can support you living a life different than the image that he kind of thought like, hey, so I'll just like have anxiety and depression and go through these cycles and like monitor them. And he realized, no. I want to really heal from this thing. And that's what I was saying before, but like, he's really into this idea that like, that Rebbe says we can become Siddiquim in this generation. Like, yes, there is the value of that everyday battle and never undermining how powerful that is. And that he does not have anxiety and depression so that he can one day heal and be like the average person on the street who lives out of anxiety 
and depressing thoughts, right? It's like, what? Like, that's the recovery. That's the success story. Like, this is an invitation from God to heal. And he's really stepped into that of like, and it's so being, he's bringing me along into it. It's like, right, I'm going to heal my anxiety so I could just have average anxiety. No. So I can live in oasis and an aura of goodness. And it's so <laughs> awesome because he refuses to live with anxiety. If he's feeling anxious, he will stop and do his EMDR techniques and learn Chosidus and meditate on it and do breath work and like Wim Hof, whatever it takes to get back to wholeness because he's realizing this is an invitation not to live from anxiety. And it comes up like panic attacks and much more severe anxiety than most people deal with. But he's like, I'm not going to live on that everyday edge. I'm going to get back to a place of calm. And for me, I always live with a little bit of anxiety. And like even walking over here, I'm like, oh no, I'm late. I'm late. And it's like, wait a second. Have I learned nothing? Like, no, I've learned so much from this. I'm allowed to walk over calm and feeling good in my body and breathing and loving this moment. And I don't need to live on someone else's invisible watch of what should be happening right now. Like I'm allowed to breathe deeper. And so watching him want to get to this place and getting there of really entering into like living Gula and living Gula for us means not living in those stressful thoughts, not letting those stressful thoughts build up and not ignoring what depression is an invitation to do, which is like real beautiful inner work. What comes to mind when you're speaking is that just as you have to come to terms with the fact that there are certain things in your life that are going to be recurring struggles, your wrestle with wanting the perfection, which I think is a very human instinct, is also something recurring. Because as you said, you have to deal with that many times before in your life. So you think, well, now I'm very well equipped to deal with this because I've had the ego death of thinking this is what my life will look like and it and it doesn't. But the truth is, is that for you personally, that struggle has also been recurring. And I find that to be so beautiful. It's not just the depression and the anxiety, but it's also the response to it. That's a daily work. And just because it's just as hard today as it was yesterday, doesn't make it less valuable. It makes it more because we're human beings who were put on this earth to do that work. Really beautiful. Hannah, ending off, can you share tips for anyone living in that place of wanting to sort of achieve a certain place in their life, in their divine service, a certain image of what they should be as a Jew, as a wife, as a woman, as an outreach, whatever it is, and being able to shift into that acceptance of the daily struggles that may be recurring, that may feel discouraging, and how to really move into that awareness that where I am right now is the holiest place and showing up to what God gives me is my life's mission. Our body is awesome. Our body is communication and it's divine communication. Our body is how Hashem is communicating that we need to pay attention. And so usually our body lets us know when we're off. We call it anxiety. We call it depression. We call it fear. We call it love. There's strong sensations happening in our body. That's communication. And so if we keep having these strong sensations to ignore it and run from it and distract, I'll just scroll through it or I'll just pick up a new project or I'll even just do more mitzvahs. Like, no, this is the body, which the Hasidus teaches us is even higher than the soul. Because if something's a vessel for something, it has to have an advantage over it. So our body is what God chose to house our soul. Our body is this incredible communication that God has with us. And ultimately, like in Days of Mashiach, the body will enliven the soul. So like not to ignore 
the messages that our body is giving us. If your body is saying, hey, I keep on being out of breath, check in with yourself and realize that underneath a strong sensation, there's always some kind of thought, like I'm not good enough or I messed up or I'm going to mess up or I can list you 400 of mine, but they'll probably be similar to yours. That's one of the beautiful things about our healing journeys. Also, they're not just ours. When you take the moment, when you're feeling that pit of ah in your stomach that you call anxiety, and you take the moment to say, hey, I'm going to talk to that part of me and be like, what do you need from me? Like, what is going on here? What is this message? What is this belief that I'm subconsciously believing that's hurting me? You're not just wasting time. You're not just even helping yourself. You're helping bring gula. When my husband's suffering from a belief that could put him into a depression, I own the same belief and I also suffer from it. And everyone suffers from those beliefs on this planet. Some people feel them more strongly than others. But when we're willing to do our inner work, it's healing the entire world and you should feel the value of that and never undermine the power of of taking time for yourself to be able to say what thoughts are running me right now that are causing me suffering or if I'm suffering even easier if I'm suffering hey so what thoughts are really underneath this and usually our body will let us know even before we believe that thought so the reason they keep coming up in our lives is because they're meant to be there for us to heal like it's always thank you And it's for me. And sometimes thank you doesn't mean, oh, thank you. It's a nice gift. It's like, I'm in so much physical pain from these sensations. All I can do is say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like Hashem cleanses out of me. It's so intense, but to not ignore it. Like you're seeing in my life, Hashem keeps sending me these messages for me to get more to a place of essence to heal. Like it's not to punish me, cancer, infertility, my husband's journey. It's it's not, it's not to punish me. It's, It's for a greater tshuva, for a greater healing to like really come back to essence to essence with the Shem, to like that divine kiss that we all want to be in. And so noticing what are those messages that Hashem keeps on teaching me, whether it's to let go or some people it's not to let go. It's like to hold on. Everyone's messages from Hashem are so personal. And we talk about like intimacy with God. That is the intimacy with God. When we're able to like be open to hearing what Hashem wants me to hear right now, and with kindness and compassion on ourselves to be able to do the inner work and not being afraid of that, to, to really do that healing. And Hashem's communicating with our very own flesh, like from my flesh, I will see God. Like anxiety, depression, stressful thoughts, like they show up in our physical body and like take that for the intimacy that it is. It's not a punishment. It's really an invitation to heal. I like that invitation because you wouldn't be in that place without God directly inviting you, (laughs) sending you the letter with your name on it. (laughs) There are no mistakes. Yeah, it's an invitation. And that's what you can get more joy than you'll ever get from like anything that involves you and many people is that joy of like the inner work that's between you and a chef. We all want that intimacy with God and that is so available and it like, comes in such a like a klipa that we can't, it's so confusing sometimes. We don't even realize that's an invitation because it's like, I didn't order that package. <laughs> Do not like the wrapping. But if we could throw out the wrapping of it and realize that our inner work holds the greatest joy that we could ever have, which is something that's between just us and God. I just want to comment that Hasidus sort of demands that we both go really inward in our lives and also continue to be outward in giving. And something that is so beautiful, Hana, about your life's journey is that as you're experiencing this inward journey, which is really intense and could be so all-consuming, 
you're still teaching and you're still writing. And even if the inward and the outward is not directly connected, where you weren't speaking about this for the last couple of years, but you were still engaged in the outward work while doing that inner work. I wonder if you could speak to that. Like, what has that balance for you been like to at once be so consumed by the inner work of your personal life and at the same time still maintain the outward work that you were doing? Thank you for seeing me. That's such a good way of putting it. Like, it literally, that's exactly what it is. It's keeping up all these things I love doing and having this real heaviness of this inner work that I know I need to do to be in this marriage. And it's, first of all, thank God for Hasidus, the responsibility of teaching and having to be like, hey, whatever is going on right now, I need to go put myself, my head in a different place for at least two hours right now to get work done is so beautiful. And it's been something that like my husband and I have loved doing no matter what's happening. It's like, he can always learn something with me or like we can put on YY and like get some inspiration. Like having to teach has kept me inspired. Like I say to my girls every day, like, thank you for making me learn Torah. Cause I wouldn't, if I didn't have to show up here at 8am and like I really mean it. The rabbi really encourages us go out into the world. And I, it's not like a distraction from the fact that our inner world is where it's at. It's like, no, having that space and that freedom has allowed me the space to then come home and do my inner work refreshed. And it has been really tricky at times, sometimes, like really feeling like I'm pretending. I'm going through all of this on the inside and I'm going to go put on a smile. But no, it's not a contradiction. It's just called living. And like there's different parts of us. And I think when I was still wrapped up in my husband's business and thought it was my job to fix him so I can feel whole, that's a trap, you know? When I was still in that phase, I wasn't really functioning in my personal life of like, I would just cancel things and I couldn't, or I would do it, but it was like so hard. And as soon as I stopped bubble wrapping the world for him and stopped feeling like it was my job to keep him safe and realized that this was from between him and God, and he's actually got this. (sighs) Then stepping back into my business, it was like, okay, so if I'm not preparing this class right now, I can't blame that on Arl being in the state of depression right now. That's me. This is my inner stuff. And having to take that responsibility. And also, I've had a Shabbos meal where my husband was, it was after what happened with Mayron, and it was extraordinarily painful for him, right? Some people feel, and some people feel. He was like, I'm not just going to have a Shabbos meal right now and like pretend that my whole body's not on fire from the pain of what just happened to Mayron. He was like, no, like, I'm going to feel this. And the week after me, we were hosting a Shabbos meal. And he couldn't come out. Like, it was too painful for him. And I was like, okay, but I want to host a Shabbos meal. So that's what's happening right now. And like, he graced us with his presence. It was like, that's okay. I can still live the life that I want to live and respect that he can't be there right now. And wow. for me, moving forward, I could do that. Like, I'm okay. I don't feel in that way so intensely. But when my seminary girls were asking me, like a month later, what do we do with this whole May Rome? Like, some girls were still really dealing with it. I was able to understand them and speak to them because my husband's someone who really feels. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had that. And so realizing that it's not just my separate life. It's not like, here's my life, you know, on Chabot.org. Here's my life at seminary. You know, it's like, okay, here's my fancy, pretty life. And then here's my intense home life. It's like, no, I'm getting that inspiration from my home to be able to go and teach in a way that's more real and relate to my girls in a way that's way more real than I would have had to. Before, they were kind of just like separate, fragmented parts. And thank God I'm starting to see how like one, the freshness of going and teaching gives me inspiration for my home and like the real rawness of the beauty of who my husband is gives me the inspiration to go teach from a different place. 
It's like the ownership of the life situations that allows you to really learn from it and not to reject it. Beautiful. Thank you, Hannah. Thanks so much for sharing. It was so beautiful. I'm so grateful that we got like Shekhianu, you know, that we got to this place where, you know, my husband said, yeah, please go share this journey because we're both realizing this isn't just about us. Even though we don't know who all these people out there who are struggling also, because this is very hush hush business. We know we can't be the only ones. And so our experience can't speak for everyone's because everyone's inner journey is their inner journey. But hopefully through us being brave and vulnerable and sharing this, our hope is to just help someone else feel validated in the worth of their inner work. Beautiful. Thank you, Tanya. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Thank you, Hannah. I'm so grateful. Thank you. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. It's human nature to be discouraged when we find ourselves returning to the same struggles day after day. And while there are certain habits or personality traits that we grow out of, there are some things that are just with us for life. If we can approach those parts of ourselves with compassion, with the recognition that God delights in our presence and that he has given us this struggle as a gift, our recurring work loses its sting. It becomes softer when we see it not as a failure, but as a win. Come with me for a minute. Close your eyes. Envision that one insecurity that you have, that you can't seem to get rid of. Envision that personality trait that punctures tiny holes in your relationships whenever you're stressed. Envision that one area in your Yiddishkeit that just seems so hard to get right. Now hold it in your hands. Speak gently to it. Say, it's okay if you never go away. I am not fighting you anymore. When you show up in my life, I will lovingly redirect you. If you want to visit every single day, that's fine with me. Your presence is not my failure. You are my gift. You give me a daily opportunity to take the needle of holiness and weave it through the fabric of my days. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber lechaber Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at humanandholy or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.